0: Let's go. let's go! Come on, everybody, and
1: let's get to pumping, cause it's three days of time, baby. Rip City is jumping now. Oh, okay, Brindle, up the middle.
0: Oh. Oh. Right. Come on, everybody! All right, everybody, welcome to the 200th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip
1: City, and I got my man Sage here currently on an MLB sweat in daily fantasy. Just wanted to let everyone know top five in a contest with 200,000 entries. Top five, you know, you know, the deal. Nerd brag. (laughs) But Hey, baseball, I don't know much about baseball. So I just know how to put lineups together. Anyway, we're not here to talk about the few times a week that I do well in the sport that I spend most of my time researching. We're here to talk about the Portland Trailblazers. And Sage, basketball
0: was somewhat back as Portland has played their allotted three scrimmage games. Thursday, they kick things off against the Indiana Pacers. That game was a 40-minute contest, 10-minute quarters, ended up losing 91-88. to On Sunday, they took on the Toronto Raptors without Damian Lillard losing 110 to 104. And then they wrapped up this final contest against the Oklahoma City Thunder. A lot of star power was on the sidelines. Chris Paul for OKC, uh Damon CJ for the Trailblazers. Portland loses 131 to 120 in a game that really wasn't as close as the score indicates. So, Sage, we're going to jump in and obviously preview the the seeding games later, but we basically got a small trial run, dress rehearsal, whatever you want to call it, over the course of these last five to, five to seven days. And let's start with the positives. What really popped off the screen when you saw your, your Portland Trailblazers over the course of these three
1: scrimmage games? Nurkic looks good. He looks good offensively. He looks good defensively. He's taking shots confidently. It doesn't matter if it misses or goes in, especially in those three games. It just doesn't matter to me. It matters that he took those shots confidently because if we're going to use Nurkic in more exotic lineups, that shot has to be, he has to be a threat. And as long as he is a threat, a lot of other things can happen off of use of Nurkic. So him being able to play is the shining light of all shining lights for Blazer fans, in my opinion.
0: You look at Nurk, and I, I think if you would ask any Trailblazer fan, the the, the main positive or the main takeaway, use of Nurkic is gonna be unanimous case. Yeah. Uh, he looked fantastic to say the least. You knew it the moment he got the ball on the low block against the Indiana Pacers kind of turned his shoulder, one hand push shot bank off the glass. You're like, yep, I I remember that. That looks exactly like our Bosnian beast. Uh, not going to count today's statistics because he only played 15 minutes and got into a little bit of foul trouble and was held out for the remainder of the second half. But through the first two games, he was averaging 15 and a half points, 10 and a half rebounds, three assists, one and a half steals, and one and a half blocks. He had a monster, an absolute monster, 17.13 rebound, five assists, two steal, two block performance in just uh, over 27 minutes against Mm -hmm. a fabulous defensive front line in the Toronto Raptors. Uh, The way he is playing, not only the statistics, so the statistics are important because they match our eye test. It's basically just... (laughs) Uh, reinforcing the fact that we're seeing a good player out there but what I also loved seeing was the confidence that he took his shots whether it was inside or out Um, the way Terry Stotts allowed him to initiate the offense much like Michael Malone does with Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets really operating as a point center at the top of the three-point line and just just dotting passes you know, seeing our guys roll off curls, I think it's going to open things up so much for our guards, specifically Damon, CJ. But I think most importantly, I saw that Yusuf Nurkic trust his body mm-hmm. and he was going in there for rebounds. He was going in there for blocks. He was diving on the floor. He was talking shit to the other team. You could see his bravado, his swagger was in full effect So really, there's not much else he could have done that would have made me more excited for his progress after missing 16 to 17 months of action. That is a lot of rust to go without playing professional basketball, and he made it look seamless. And uh, I think that is a major win, regardless
1: that the Blazers didn't actually get a win in the the win-loss column. And it's sustainable. That's the thing, like a player could go and be extraordinarily hot for a long period of time and put up really nice statistics but he did it in limited minutes limited being 27 28 it shows that what he does with his production is sustainable that's where it it doesn't look like it's the Gordon Hayward take two two years to look like your normal self he he's playing within himself he's producing he is outshining the other two bigs every game he's played. Like it's sustainable growth. Yes, of course it's scrimmage, but it's the it's the forty eight minutes of playing time that we've seen in the last two years to see if you know this injury would have taken longer for him to adjust. Do you do you think that 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 those extra months were super beneficial for Yusuf so he could get more used to his body and trust his body more? Obviously there is no
0: blessing in disguise when it comes to the, uh, with, with, with a pandemic, but if we're talking strictly sports and we're talking Yusuf Nurkic's situation, then yeah, it was a bit of a silver lining that he had to press pause on returning to basketball. You knew that he wanted to come back. He had that minor setback with the calf earlier on in the winter when he was going to come back, I think around January or February, closer to the all-star break. And then it got pushed back and he was finally going to come back mid-March nationally televised game against the Houston Rockets. And, you know, I was apprehensive because you probably could tell that he was feeling inter- pressure internally from himself. My team struggling. We try to make this playoff push. I want to come back and play. It's It's been 12 long months. So obviously you've, you've got that itch that you just want to scratch. But I think being forced to just continue to rehab and, you know, they, When people say, I want 110% effort or I want to be 110% certain, these extra three to four months was that 10% that he was able to say, okay, I, I'm ready to go. It's really now or never. And I think the same thing applies to Zach Collins getting that shoulder fully healed because as, as you can see, these are these athletes are, are playing at the, the highest caliber and you need your bodies to... Their, their bodies are essentially machines mm-hmm. and they've got to be well-oiled. They they just have to be firing on all cylinders and any really kink or just ding, it's going to throw their body off and they're not going to be able to perform. And more times than not, it turns into a, a really a, a long lingering injury that look at Paul George. He's, he's still finally just getting back from his uh, labor. And we look at Myers Leonard, he spent almost two seasons battling shoulder surgeries, shoulder injuries, excuse me. So, uh, you know, to make a, a long, a short answer long, I do think it was beneficial. Um, one other thing about Nurkic that, that I'll, I'll leave off on, if you want to add something, feel free to. But when you hear in the media that a big man is adding a three-point shot into his arsenal... This is exactly how you envision it. You don't want him living out there. You don't want him being a bobble. Bowl bowl. Now there's nothing wrong with bobble. He's a seven-two small forward, but Nurkic is our center. He's a guy who really needs to get busy down low. But the threat. So when he has the ball at the top of the key. If the defense is sag off, like he's able just to catch and shoot. His shot looks fluid. It, he's not using any wasted motions. It doesn't look like he has to put a lot of effort into that shot. Looks like he could maybe even take a step back once he starts getting a little bit more acclimated. That's just the, the rhythm that I've seen him shooting that jump shot. And, you know, it really reminds me of when we had Rashid Wallace during that 2099-01 era run where he would his his butter his biscuit on the low block but if any opportunity presented itself to step out in the perimeter and, and pull that defender away from the paint he was making them pay and so that's really what I was happy to see because usually whenever I hear uh, a big man talk about adding that three-point shot to, to their arsenal you know when LaMarcus was going to do it I just really rolled my eyes because I am like too. yeah I was like don't you don't, we don't need more players away from the basket, but this seems like a very natural progression. Um, his shots came all within the flow of the offense. In fact, you know, you were begging him to shoot some of those shots mm. because they were such good I was hyped. And again, it just makes him that much more difficult to defend. I mean, we all saw how hard it was to defend Jokic last year in the playoffs because he was so damn dangerous from either passing from the top of the key or, or hitting that three-point shot. So, you know, if he can get that going consistently and replicate these numbers in the seeding games, that's going to give Portland a fighter's chance against this intensely, immensely difficult schedule that the NBA rolled out for them.
1: So, I, I think the beauty of the Terry Stott scheme is that if Nurkic feels confident in shooting or initiating the offense through the slot, so in his offense, I don't know the terminology, but for normal 4 1 offenses it's two people on the slot which is out near the front of the court and then two on the wings either corner sitting or i guess the wing three point shot wow i can i can explain something and with our team there's hassan whiteside there's mellow there's zach collins that all can do work in the post so the fact that nurk is feeling confident in how he's shooting Allows them to get those post up opportunities because with that four out scheme, the there, there's one post out in the perimeter and one post opposite side post posting up, and that's how it's set up. So if Nurk can drop down the pass to the, the 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 paint and have them get an easy bucket off of very uh, intense spacing, it just adds to how dynamic our offense can be so yeah like if he can work his magic in the slot it's going to be a very very nice uh nine plus ten plus games of being able to see the Blazers play my question to you is he's never been like a minutes grinder you see that he taps out about 29 minutes per per game throughout his career since it's the playoffs do you expect him to stay around that 28 29 minutes per game because his playoff experience as of right now was skinny Nurk and that one game against the Warriors. So you're right,
0: he did play skinny Nurk uh against the, the Pelicans, and we did get one game of him game you know, three, I believe. Yeah, and, I looked it up before I said it in 2017. Right. He really hasn't
1: been in the playoffs
0: 17 as,
1: minutes as and like around 23, according to basketball reference
0: for me it is really important to separate this season from the long-term goal of winning a championship. Part of me thinks we don't know what, what the world is going to look like when a proposed 2021 season starts. Mm. So you go all in now you just, you might as well. The other part of me says, this is a player that is just coming back from a major surgery, major injury, he's still going to get acclimated to playing these minutes and it's not going to be like regular NBA where you're, you're not going to have any back-to-backs or three games in four nights. They're going to schedule these games one after another, and they're going to be at different times throughout the day to ensure they're able to get all these teams their their eight games uh, seated before the playoffs start. And what I did see, which was pretty vintage NERC uh, against the Oklahoma city thunder was late in that second quarter, you could see he got called for two fouls in mm-hmm. a row. He got pretty tired. He started to get upset visibly with the officials. His body language kind of dropped a bit. And he, could, he seemed to start to reach a bit and lumbering up and down the court. And I think that's a product of of just getting his legs back. Um, it's a product of not having Damian Lillard on the floor. I think that would have been a time where well, Dave, they played
1: zero minutes together.
0: Or no, they played one game, right? 20 minutes together. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a challenge for him so i would take 28 to 30 elite nurk minutes then 30 plus
1: of mediocre NERC i don't NERC i mean minutes. i just i don't see him playing 30 minutes in the next few months i mean given his injury
0: history yeah. and the, i mean you have us on white side for this reason if you're not going to play him now there's really no point in him being on, on the roster. If you're not going to play, this is NERC insurance, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, You also have Zach Collins, who you can play as as the five, if you want to go small to, to match up with the opposition. So I think the Blazers have to rely on, on the team. And it's not as deep of a team as they might've, might've liked, but this, this bubble experience, this race to the eight seed again, let's realize the prize is the Los Angeles Lakers in the first round. That's not, that's not a great prize, if you ask me. Like that—that that is the most, one of the most toughest tasks for for any team in the postseason is to go against a hungry LeBron James and a, probably a first or second team All NBA in Anthony Davis. Mm. So that—that's your prize. That—that's you don't go balls to the wall for that. Like, if anything, last year would have been the chance to go go all in um, and actually seeing Nurk these last three games. Kind of reinforces my thought that I think we probably do win the championship if we had a healthy use of Nurkic last year. Mm. Uh, just the way he moves, the way he changed the game, I think he would have really shored up a lot of those those holes that we had against the Warriors. And man, a series with a fully healthy Blazer roster versus a Kawhi Raptors team, I think that would have been one for the ages. But
1: I and digress. You, you, you see his basketball IQ on how he plays defense and not he's not willing to jump at at plays that he doesn't have help on or he's the help. Like we missed that intelligence defensively and the big body for rebounds every game that we played this year. So like, he is, he is such a humongous factor for us to uh, for us in this, in the shortened season. And, potentially in the playoffs. Like there aren't that many bigs built like Yusuf in the league. Like if he has mobile the mobility to stay with more uh more athletic uh bigs like he's punishing them down low and getting getting too easy and getting those bigs in foul trouble. And seeing that he, he was he was switching out on uh Shea Gilders Alexander today. Like they, they ran actions to get nurk onto him and nurk i mean that's a tough ask anyway but like he put in the effort and it was like he made some of those shots difficult and really that's all you can ask when you're defending a 22 year old freak of nature Shea Gildas alexander Did anything uh, else stand out to you over these three games gary trent's defensively when he was in he when he was inspired was uh was good because there was the first game. Who did we play Indiana? So he was hyped for Victor Oladipo. He wasn't very hyped for this game. He wasn't clapping. He wasn't, he was just playing defense. So when he was inspired to play, it was, it was really fun to watch, but I I didn't feel like he was inspired to, to body up Lou Dort.
0: I think it was a positive that we got. We were talking about Yusuf Nurkic. It's only right to talk about Zach Collins. It was nice to see him out there. Uh, He hadn't played since the third game of the season. I think he had his best professional move on the offensive end of the floor. I think it was that second game against the Toronto Raptors when he had, I think it was Chris Boucher on the left block. Kind of looked like he was going to go for a fadeaway. Got Boucher to bite up and under. I mean, Mm -hmm. just vintage. Post move one hundred and one. What you want to see out of Zach Collins? He shot the ball pretty well from three, two of four overall in the three in the three scrimmages. Came off the bench one game. Um, I think that it, it, the starting lineup it, it needs to be Zach and No. You. Yeah. What did you think of the Hassan Nurk pairing? Should was, we see more of it? Should we see less of it? Or
1: was that about enough? It was six minutes of basketball action. You know, it, like the reason they made a big deal out of it was because it was the starting lineup, it wasn't the finishing lineup. And after six minutes, they didn't go back to it. So I think that alleviates a lot of fears that I had about them trying to push it out. Because I'm cool with it in limited time against the right opponent. Like, I definitely think we could do it against the Lakers, for example, if we played them in the first round. But I don't think we could do it against the Houston Rockets or uh, the Clippers because they have Montrezl Harold and then Kawhi plays the four. I don't think that's a a reasonable basketball idea. But if it's against the right team in the right scenario, I'm totally fine with them playing a rotation with them or two rotations, first half and second half. I'm totally cool with it. But I think that what's best for us offensively and defensively is to put Zach with one of the two centers for most of the game. And like I saw some stuff on Twitter that said Hassan's losing a lot of value. And I agree that he's losing some, but Yusuf's never been a minutes grinder. Hassan's going to play 24 minutes minimum. And this
0: is also Hassan's audition if he wants to be in Portland, if Portland wants him around, I mean, the, obviously the yes has to be answered to both of those questions. This is the time to figure it out because we really won't get another chance until free agency occurs. So we're going to get eight games. Um, but I, I agree with you. I, I think I would just want to see it in spurts, um, almost like a last ditch resort, like, like a hack, a shack, or something where you feel like you're maybe losing momentum, where you're trying to just change the pace of the game, throw a curveball at the opposing team, I don't think it's an every-game
1: occurrence. Like you and mentioned. you have to be very careful with the three players surrounding N- Nurkazan. You can't have Rio in it. You can't have non-shooters in that lineup because that that there's that thin line between insanity and genius. We can't put extra... You know, non-shooters in a lineup with that is featuring two classic big men. It it ain't the '90s anymore, where you know you can post up in that left block, and then you can have your big, you know, on the right trying to get your offensive rebound. Like teams are too quick to double, too quick to do a lot of things. So, as long as we appreciate what spacing is and appreciate what the offense is about because it is to generate space. I'm totally fine with seeing it in situations that it would make sense to put that lineup out there for.
0: And I think lastly, for me, what stood out to me, it was really wonderful to see Anthony Simon's look like the Anthony simons from the season finale last year against the kings and earlier this season um remember he almost hit the game winner against the sixers had it not been for uh our Perfect. defense on the last possession yeah. so he started to make that that step and then really had a really tough sophomore slump but it was awesome to see him play with confidence uh, he ended up with 23 points on 9 of 15 shooting Five of eight from downtown, and he just had complete control of the offensive scheme. Five assists, uh, four rebounds. So he was filling up the stat lines. There were just certain plays. There was a couple of give and go touch passes with Nurk that resulted in a jam, both one for Ant and then one for for Yusuf. Uh, he just looked more confident. And you know, we were texting with each other over or during the game, and you know, I kind of joked. I was like, "Does it take for him knowing that he's just not going to get pulled out of the game?" to play with this um, amount of rhythm. Um, Just he played fearless and he clearly has talent, which is why it was so odd to see him completely kind of fall, fall from grace from his, the previous performances we've seen from him. I mean, it's not like he wasn't getting opportunities. Uh, He was Neil Olshay basically said we can't afford Seth Curry. Anthony, you are the third guard. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're going to get minutes and he did get minutes all year long. So hopefully it's just what comes with the territory when developing a a young prospect, because even if Terry does go to an eight man rotation, Anthony Simons needs to produce when he's going to get thrown in there. And Mm -hmm. he's probably not going to get prolonged minutes, probably just going to be in short stints, but Portland needs an additional ball handler. We just don't have that right now. It's really Dame CJ and Ant. I don't think either of us feels really comfortable with it being Rio. So or Gary Trent Jr. Or yeah, Gary's a two. We discussed that as well. So we're gonna need Ant, and so hopefully this was a boost that he needed going into those those seeding seeding games because you know he clearly has talent. I mean, no one is denying that. But it was just nice to see his shot fall. He didn't look, and we talked about this as well. He looked like he was just playing and not thinking out there, just just mm. reacting and going out
1: there and, and letting his natural instinct kick in. There was a play where. He went for the off. He and Zach were fighting for that offensive rebound. He ended up getting it, passed it to uh, Jalen. Jalen passed it back, and then Ant drove it and uh, passed it to Zach for an easy score. Like that—that type of hustle from your guard to try and get an offensive rebound is crazy. We we got a guy that can attack that likes attacking the hoop and if he's plays inspired in these, in these games, it makes me feel so much better about using him as the third guard, because I mean, there are third guards available in free agency that probably would, we could afford like Goran Dragic. Like there are guys that, That could take that role. So as long if he continues to produce and be confident, it makes that decision easy. Like we don't need to spend the MLE on on a guard. We can use it for a small forward that can shoot and play some defense or whatever the case may be.
0: So we've discussed the positives, Sage. Now let's get to our concerns. After three games, what has you worried going into the seeding games? Our perimeter defense is pretty suspect. Um, If use of Nurkic is the number one positive for blazer fans. I think if you pulled a hundred blazer fans, a hundred would say perimeter defense. It is just that glaringly just awful. Yeah. So I, I pulled some statistics because I wanted to know again, if the math reinforced what my eyes were seeing and Indiana, 13 of 33 from downtown, including just a barrage to start that third quarter. Uh, Toronto, 17 of 44. OKC, 20 of 40. Overall, Portland allowed teams to shoot 43% from behind the line in these three scrimmages. And I'm telling you, Sage, it could have been higher had a lot of teams not been playing their second or third stringers. Yeah, we played against some junior varsity. Because those looks were wide open and i've got theories on why they were so open but i kind of want to hear hear your thoughts like one what's wrong and two can it be rectified and changed and corrected for in time to to make a playoff push because we will not win unless our defense is tightened up
1: you know it it, it's tough like i would say in the uh okc game they made a few tough shots but a lot of them throughout the entire three games of scrimmage they were a lot of easy easy shots that if i feel like i feel like our defensive rotations were just non-existent on some of those open threes so i don't know how we can fix rotations that have been a thorn in our side, literally this entire year, it just got exposed even more so since we we're playing better teams. And
0: so when you're talking about the rotations, are you talking about our, our scheme, which usually says, okay, you know, let the ball handler fill him, filter him into the teeth of the defense and, you know, protect the paint. But instead teams are knowing, okay, I'm not going to challenge Yusuf and Asan. I've already got by my man. Once that help comes, I'm gonna swing, 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 swing. And sooner or later you're gonna get an open perimeter look mm-hmm. because that's kind of what I was noticing was kind of
1: the yeah. crutch of, of our defense. Or like if you're an elite point guard, you got an elite pull-up. Like I feel like that's one of those things. If you're playing point guard in this generation of ball, you got a you got a banging pull-up. So once you get past your guy, you can just pull and get that relatively open shot because we're not changing our defense ever. We're playing the same defensive strategies every time. So once a, a, a Bradley Beal for instance realized that they weren't sending the double ever, he was able to get really comfortable and do dribble pull-ups. So there's the the pass pass pass, shoot the open shot and then there's the set the screen, the centers going to sag back defensively. Once you get by your man, you're having an open shot. So all you have to do is hit the hit the mid-range jumper and like I said, lead initiators in this day and age in NBA can hit the Are you going to give the up this this shot off dribs or are we going to pass it around and take an open shot off catch and shoot?
0: Yeah, I think there's I think there's a catch 22 to playing defense in today's NBA with the skill set that I think is at an all-time high. I mean, you're looking at everybody on the floor can essentially pull from anywhere as uh, comfortable shooting and is a threat. What my concern is is we let offenses dictate how they want to run their sets. We don't, like you said, we don't do anything different. Teams know how we're going to defend them when when they go into a pick and roll. They know how we're going to defend when they just want to rim run. They they just they know that we're not going to change. So, to your example, it, it would be nice if we would maybe trap the ball handler up top and maybe see if we can force an unexpected pass, which leads to maybe a steal and a breakaway slam. You don't do that every time down the floor, but insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Mm-hmm. And that kind of seems like what we're doing with our defensive strategy. And a lot of people thought, oh, maybe it just had to do with we had so many new faces. This season, and so many injuries, and in that once we get Zach and Nurk back, that's going to shore up our defense. And again, it's a three game sample. Our projected starting lineup played two full quarters together, so it's not much to pull from. But just looking at the overall scheme, I'm still seeing that we're getting taken advantage of, regardless of who's out there. And to me, that's telling me it's more of a scheme than a skill problem because it's we're basically letting our our bigs just suffer on an island because we love switching the pick and roll so much. And it's really not fair to have Nurk and Zach be like, okay, you guys have to be our saviors. Like whether we drop you in, in the pick and roll and you guys got to clean up all of our mess or you need to go out on the island and defend someone like Shea Gildress Alexander mm-hmm. do it over and over again. There was like three or four times in a row where was Nurk on SGA. Nurk did the best he could. Yep. SGA did hit a couple of tough shots, but again once you get one you get comfortable and then you know went, went by him um so i think that a it's a little it's column a
1: column b you can't you can't just say that it's the players and you can't just say it's a scheme i think it's it, it's a mixture of both and our unwillingness to try other things on the, on the defensive end like you know, we not. we have our strategies and we stick to them
0: I think we also have some really bad defensive habits that we like to do. Uh, We like to run out on shooters and just overrun them. And we don't really have a lot of discipline in standing, you know, just stopping right there. Um, Zach Collins, really good defender, had a lot of really bad mistakes against the Oklahoma city thunder at the four. He was matched up against Andre Roberson. They went small, he for whatever reason was jumping out on Roberson when he was pump faking for threes or just catching and shooting. You don't need to do that. You let Andre Roberson prove to you know your personnel that he can hit that shot. And then he was able to go right by him. You look again, and I I don't blame Hassan Whiteside for this, but Hassan was our center. And for whatever reason, he was matched up against rookie Darius Baisley and Hassan's not going to play him out of the three point line because one Baisley will just take him off the dribble, but he gave him a little bit too much space and basically hit like three threes in a row. And it was almost like that Phoenix game when Aaron Baines just basically mm-hmm. went off and Hassan was like, what do I do? Like, so I'm not blaming Hassan. Like this is again, a schematical
1: challenge the Blazers really have to, to figure out. Um, there are we've match- had a problem against, uh, stretch bigs for years. I mean, remember when Kevin Love broke the record for points in a quarter He's a stretch big, and there wasn't that communication of switching, and you know, it. It, I, I feel like that's an issue that has been that has, you know, been our Achilles' heel defensively for six years.
0: It's absolutely I, been been the Achilles' heel. I mean, you, you nailed it right, and I know there are going to be people who say. Dustin say, this is just scrimmages. We haven't really seen our full team. They clearly weren't going 100%. You are absolutely right. What I would say is when we raised these concerns in the preseason against Phoenix, Phoenix came into our house, put up 134 points, shot 24 of 45. That's over 53% from downtown. I was raising the red flag. Like, what mm. what is going on? Everyone's like, just chill. It's preseason it wasn't just preseason because that was a a precursor for what was to come for the entire season. We saw it in opening night when Denver hit like 18 of 28 threes to Mm -hmm. end our opening night streak. And we were about as healthy as we had been all year. So we have had four months. And again, this isn't a regular four months because the coaching staff was dealing with personal issues, just like we all were during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. But this has been a problem for a long time. And for me as a fan, Watching the same exact.
1: I mean, we weren't even in the picture on some of those, it, it's, those shots. It's, it's frustrating, Sage. Like, yeah. like I'm cool. Like in a scrimmage, I define if we didn't uh, didn't contest the shot. But we weren't even in the frame on some of those. Like we were ten feet away from the guy shooting, so it's it's positioning uh defensively on where we have to be when a, a certain action happens and when we aren't even in the frame or when we're 10 feet 12, 15 feet away from the shooter that's that's an NBA shooter like that's like a layup to him so I will concede the point that it's preseason or you know a scrimmage but Win games matter, we better be in the frame closing out uh, defensively. Who do you think is the best defender on a shot, on a, a three? Who's the best closeout defender we have?
0: I think for his size, give me Yusuf Nurkic. I, I thought he played fabulous defense, especially against Gallo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Gallo tried to size him up like four times to start the game, and he held his own. He's crafty um, as hell, too. I, I saw him contest those threes on, on SGA, and those were a couple of feet behind the three-point line, and he's just a good player. That was the time when better offense beat, beat good defense. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a sneaky pick. I think Wenyon Gabriel closes out really strong. I like Nas Little's
1: closeouts. They getting- scored on him a lot, but I like that he didn't – A lot of our team closes out straight ahead. What Nas did was he went to the side and closed out. So it wasn't, I don't know why I actively went to the side when I was trying to explain it, but he went to the side and contested. It's like what PJ Tucker does on contests. Cause you don't like, if you're flying at him, you don't want to fly into him. But if he goes to the side and contests, it's way more efficient. And then they don't have that excuse of he hit me. Give me foul shots.
0: So that's one thing I will say the Blazers did well is we didn't foul a lot of three point shooters, But aside from that, not a whole lot to like about Portland's defensive productivity. What do you think uh, it,
1: about Dame's one game of performance?
0: Incomplete. I don't think he was there I think to, he was being super
1: duper passive,
0: yeah. I mean, he he wasn't there to play in the sense of I need to get mine. He was there to make sure Yusuf Nurkic was comfortable. Zach was comfortable, really really get a sweat. So, you know, I don't take anything from, from Dame. If there's one player who can come in and just turn it on uh, it's Dame, but you mentioned Dame and another thing that I think would be, you know, we look at these three games, you know, we talked about the defense, Portland gave up nearly 121 points per game over these last two games in which the quarters were at, at a full 12 minutes. But that's not going to get it done. You're not going to win allowing over 120 a night. So we talked about the defense. Another thing that I, that I was disappointed in and is really out of our control was injuries. So we had Hassan Whiteside who had a sore Achilles. He missed the first game. Uh, Dame with the foot inflammation missed games two, and games three. Anaz had a concussion, missed, the, missed game one and game two. So you're looking at a trailblazer team who lacks a lot of chemistry and continuity, and was going to use these three games to build some form of, uh, mm-hmm. of a rapport with one another, they only got quarters one and quarters three against that Indiana team uh, on last Thursday. And that was even, they didn't have Hassan Whiteside. Yeah, they had zero that. minutes with
1: Hassan and Dame.
0: really haven't had even one set with mm-hmm. the full eight-man rotation that they plan on rolling out that is going to be an uphill battle to to climb i mean just we don't get a cupcake at all really in this these the sense but that by that time the, the it's game, already decided it, it could be decided so portland really doesn't have the luxury of going up against a you know a cake water, or, or a cupcake you know we have to play the team directly in front of us right off the bat and we're going in there basically fresh like it's You know, first day of school and, oh, how was your summer? How was your summer? I don't know. I haven't seen you. Mm -hmm.
1: I feel like this, this scenario leads to people that have continuity, like having a distinct advantage over teams like us that don't have any continuity on the court or very little. Like a team like Denver with one move in the last year has a distinct advantage against us.
0: And I would say, lastly, something that, again, reared its ugly head over the course of these three games was shot selection and Portland not valuing each possession like they should. And, again, that could be going back to this treating these games like scrimmages, and NSH, I won't lie, these games felt like more more summer league than, than even preseason. So... Hopefully this isn't a preview of what's to come, but there were too many times when the Blazers would just dump it into Melo and he'd have like a good defender on him, like Andre Roberson, and everybody would literally stop and watch him. Mm -hmm. Nobody would cut and everybody knew he was going to shoot the ball. Where Melo was most effective is on that catch and shoot. Like this isn't 2010 anymore. We're not going to run offense or we shouldn't be running offense through Carmelo Anthony um, in isolation situations. We rushed a lot of shots. Um. That's what I saw the other teams do well is they took care of the ball. Well, they found open shooters and and they made us pay. Like when you get to the playoffs, as, as we've seen every present, I mean, it should matter like this in the regular season, but it just feels like it's it magnifies. It magnifies so much more in the playoffs. And really these eight games might as well be playoff games. If you're the Portland
1: Trailblazers. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the other teams that we played, took the philosophy of know your personnel much better than we did. It's not the end of the world. If Carmelo takes eight dribbles and takes a turnaround jumper, it's actually a win for you because it's a way less efficient shot than a pull up from a lead initiator playmaker or pass, pass, pass open three. So we need to really look at each team and be like, this is unacceptable for this to happen. This is acceptable, like what the Warriors did with Al-Farouk Let him shoot. If he beats us, we got six more attempts to beat them in the playoffs. I think what we have to look at is enforce the unacceptables. So who are we? we're playing the Grizzlies game one, right? Jaron Jackson cannot take an open catch-and-shoot three in transition. We have to focus on that. John Morant can take a pull-up jumper because he's not the most accurate sh- shooter. I think if we do that, our, uh, our our defense would look a lot better. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what Terry Stotts is saying are the unacceptables defensively. Because I hope it's that, because Jaron Jackson's a top five Catch-and-shoot shooter in the NBA.
0: Dribble, pass, shoot. Carmelo Anthony should be the starting small forward in the bubble for the Blazers. This is if you were Coach Sage. You were
1: coaching the Blazers. Dribble, pass, shoot. Melo starts at the three. It's tough. Certain matchups, he absolutely should. Certain matchups, he shouldn't. So, I guess that's... Dribble it like I, there are some matchups where Melo doesn't kill us defensively, but there's some where I, we need to do Nasir or Gary Trent. I think because he's a vet, he's going to start every game. So I guess I'm shooting it. But if it was Coach Sage, there's sometimes where I would start him, and sometimes he would be the first guy off the bench and be that huge scoring punch that we need off that second unit because our third quarters and second rotations really sucked. What about you? Melo as the starting three,
0: I, I would pass that. And for for a couple of reasons. First, we, we talked about defense. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to help us or do us many favors guarding the perimeter at the small forward position. On offense, too, he's really a fifth option if you're talking about the starting lineup. You you just mentioned our bench production. We need much more pop off the bench. Off of the bench, Melo could be the sixth man and just really go ham. You could run offense through Carmelo Anthony, especially if, if he has a, a mismatch. I would throw a little bit of a curveball. I've seen Gary Trent Jr.'s names floated up there by the fans. I, I, too, like the way GT's played, but I want him off the bench again as a scoring threat. I would do a little bit of a curveball. I would go almost like 8 09 Blazers when we started a rookie Nick Batum. No, I would go Nasir or Wenyan, um, and I say that because I trust Nasir to, on on the offensive end more, uh, especially as a, a catch and shoot three point shooter. I mean, he really made a lot of strides towards the the end of the regular season. But they don't need the ball in their hands. Like Portland, almost is at a point in their current starting lineup where they have too many mouths to feed. Mm-hmm. They need to focus. Like if we're playing two K and you're looking at the one, two, and three options. One, we're playing through Dame. Two, we should be playing through Nurk right now. And three, CJ needs to get his as well. Like that's, I would say, unless it's a wide open shot from Zach or, or a dunk for from Melo, those three players need to be shooting the basketball every time down the floor. Like we have got to get our best guys the most amount of shots and Nasir and Wenyan are players that are going to rebound. They're going to defend. They're going to box out. They're going to hustle. They're going to dive on the floor. They don't care if they shoot 10 times or zero times. They're athletic. They can finish in traffic. Again, and I think you're able to bring Melo off the bench. I, I think it makes too much sense. It would never happen because uh, politically. I, I, yeah, the pecking order, Melo yeah, should and, start. And I think that's that's the gift and the curse that comes with Melo. I love Melo the person. I love having Melo on the Blazers, he's been really fun to watch this year. If he does come back next year, it, it just absolutely cannot be in, in, a, in a starting role.
1: Here's why I would go Gary Trent. He also doesn't have a huge usage rate and would fit in with the shooter. I don't think Wayne can be a good enough shooter with a start our starting five. There are teams that we're playing against, like Celtics, for instance, where Gary Trent's just too small, and I would put Nasir in. Um, but if we're thinking about an offense that allows space for Nurk to do his thing, Dame to have the decision whether he can shoot or drive on a given possession, I would go Gary Trent and I would live with what he does defensively against the Jason Tatum's of the world, because let's be real. No one on our team stopping Jason Tatum consistently the way you stop Jason Tatum is you meet him at the basket and make him feel your presence. So if we can do that, that that is where I would I honestly feel like Gary Trent would be motivated to to clamp up whoever the the lead the the the, the jumbo playmaker is on each team like but I mean there there's that. There, there are times where Melo doesn't kill you, but if it was me I'd probably put Gary Trent and sacrifice going against the Jason Tatum's the, the other large shooters that we are, you know, lead plays that we're going to that are small forward or power forwards. Getting ready to break down game.
0: I'm calling game one and game two of the eight game uh, seeding regular season. Portland kicks things off with no bigger opponent than the Memphis Grizzlies. The, the team most important record. game. That's a de facto Playoff right. game for your Portland Trailblazers. Friday, uh, the Grizzlies are 32 and 33. The Blazers, by percentage points right now, are in that ninth position at 29 and 37. Uh, remember, Portland must finish within four games and be in at least ninth position to force mm-hmm. a play-in tournament. And it doesn't get any easier as they have to face the Boston Celtics. That one will be a nationally televised game. I think the NBA gave... The Blazers a bone there because the coronavirus shut down the season right before we were going to get the Houston Rockets on a Sunday matinee. Uh, so they get it again, but it will be against the Boston Celtics. Let's look at, we will talk about Memphis first, but I just want to look at Boston. Boston is in a weird position where they're third right now in the East. With is 21 it possible
1: Boston. for them to move to second or drop to fourth?
0: Yeah, it's going to be tough for them to drop to fourth just because I don't know if Miami or Indiana would would catch them. Phillies, you know, five games back, so I don't see that. Um, and I don't – three games to catch the Raptors might be a little difficult the way Toronto's playing. But again, this is a whole new experience. We're talking about the bubble. And- Can I talk
1: about my philosophy in this eight games? a lot of people think that it's the beginning of the season when reality it's the continuation and the end anyone that has listened to our shows, we preview the games and we play, we talk about the players that on paper are the projected starting lineups in late April, which is what this season would be. There's teams that will rest Stars or rest role players or try something new. So there, there is a chance that let's say we're playing the Rockets and James Harden isn't feeling good or whatever the case may be. There might be players that are not in the rotation because of whatever reason. Let's say we're playing the Clippers. Montrez Herald has had a lot of issues this this uh, bubble. What if they want to try out Joaquin Noah for 18 minutes? So there's going to be... We are playing against a very difficult schedule if played my projected starting five versus your projected starting five and the rest of my team versus your rest of the team. We have an incredibly difficult schedule. But because it, in theory, is late April basketball or end of the season schedule, there are some teams that are stuck in third or stuck in fourth or stuck in whatever placing that they can, there's a chance that they don't play Kawhi Leonard. There's a chance that they don't play a certain player because of a certain issue. So when we talk about these games, it's not set in stone that we're playing this team at their 100% capacity. Cause there's a chance just like in every game coming up, Something's gonna change because of an issue. So yeah, we're gonna talk about it as if it's the projected team. But in reality, we could catch a break because if you already have the second spot, why risk playing Jason Tatum? Why risk playing Kawhi Leonard if you already know you have the second seed locked up? That's my that's my philosophy on how I'm gonna talk about breaking down the games and if you've played fantasy sports there's fantasy basketball daily fantasy yearly you know that that's the case every day there is going to be a rotation that's different because of the fact that this is end of game end of your basketball anthony davis might not play game 2 of the season cuz he has an eye he has an injured eye and you're just thinking to yourself that he's a professional player and this game's 2 days away it's Anthony Davis. He's made a glass. He's he. There's a very valid chance that he doesn't play.
0: So let's take that philosophy right into Memphis.
1: Wh- I think that they are playing 100 percent of the their. Uh, oh, for sure, full power. power. Yeah, I
0: mean, two teams could not be headed in two different, two more different directions than the Blazers and the, and the Grizzlies heading into this game. Memphis had their their full rotation
1: on display. Minus justice, right?
0: Yeah, but I don't think he really was ever part of that that core. I think he, he wasn't got,
1: for the right the year. But yeah, he, he I, I mean he was supposed to lately. take over Jay Crowder's spot. Either I way, mean, they yeah.
0: basically have their entire allotment of players. They absolutely destroyed the Miami Heat 128 to 110. Jaw had 22 and 12. Brandon Clark got business off, off the bench and I remember playing them right before the All-Star break. That's when, you know, Dame kind of broke down because he was carrying the the team mm-hmm. on, on his shoulders for so long. And so not breaking down in a negative connotation, but just more like literally, physically, his body just said no more. And it caused him to miss the All-Star game. And in that, that game, I just remember how, Abysmal. Her paint defense actually was, and Brandon Clark, I think, had a perfect like ten of ten night. The way
1: he finishes in the paint is fantastic. He is such a crafty finisher. I'm gonna say the,
0: the looks he was getting, mm-hmm. I could have finished in the paint. I mean, that's just how wide open he was. So whoever is defending him needs to put a butt into him and box his behind they can feel you. Exactly. Like I really wish we had Ed
1: Davis for this game. So my philosophy would be. Defensively, is build that wall around John Morant anytime that he goes to the hoop. Make him make a split decision. Make him feel you. Build that wall against him so he doesn't have an easy finish. Because what I would rather have him do is take, you know, standstill shots rather than drive. Because once he starts driving, he forces in fouls, he forces us to react. And I don't want us to have to deal with it. But if we can build that wall and make him a jump shooter, I think this game is a lot easier for us.
0: I think Lamar Heard made a really good point during today's broadcast. It was towards the end, and he mentioned that with the Oklahoma City Thunder not playing Chris Paul, they didn't run much pick and roll, and it really gave Portland a good glimpse of what they're going to face against the Memphis Grizzlies because they don't run a ton of pick and roll either. And if if I'm the trailblazers – I, like you, do not want John Morant to get a a downhill head start Mm -hmm. and just look like a freight train Mm -hmm. going at your defense. The last thing we need is him getting Zach and Nurk into foul trouble. I I play him like I play Westbrook. Beat me from the outside. Mm -hmm. And the matchup I'm looking forward to most watching is Jonas Valanciunas against Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, If you remember, Valanciunas and Whiteside kind of got into it. Beef. And I think Valanciunas had a little bit better performance. No,
1: Valanciunas time. had an extraordinary
0: game. So Portland needs to win that matchup. Yeah. Nurkic needs to be able to dictate the tempo of the game. Whichever team can really assert themselves defensively it is going to come out on top. I think there's going to be a lot of jitters on both teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember, this, this game is huge for Memphis as well. They have a tough schedule and, you know, they want to stay in eight. They they want to really only have to beat the ninth seed once rather than be in That's ninth awesome. and mm-hmm. have to win two in a row. So this game means the, the world to the Grizzlies, especially with, you know, the Pelicans breathing down everyone's back, you know, given that, that really smooth schedule they've got. So, you know, they're always going to be a threat. So both teams are going to come out, I think, I think very nervous. And I think the first team to really settle in, Mm. Getting to their pace and you mentioned earlier in the podcast knowing your strength and playing playing to that and not getting out of your skill set team that really plays to their true identity is going to win this game
1: i would i mean i think every time that we ever talk about the memphis grizzlies since jaron jackson's been an nba player i've mentioned the fact that he's a foul monster I would absolutely try and draw as many fouls against Jaron Jackson the third as I possibly can because he is such a dynamic and basketball player. So his one major flaw is that he fouls quite a lot. So I would I'd try and go at him and get as many fouls drawn on him as possible because Brandon Clark is a fantastic finisher, but I don't think I'm very scared of him shooting an open jumper. I'm terrified of Jaron Jackson trying to get that jumper off. But I mean, yeah, I think that whoever can dictate their style first is going to be the team that is the victor in this this game. So I think the major thing is the who whose stars are going to shine the brightest in this this scenario. And John ja Morant's 20 years old. This is his first chance to play in, you know, NBA basketball. How is he going to be emotionally? I'm going to I'm going to ride with Damian Lillard, the the legitimate superstar that he is, the the 2K athlete that he is to play within himself and I think the Blazers win this very crucial game. So, this is where the pandemic hurts the Blazers. Clearly they had a
0: Eastern Conference road trip slated for uh, March, which has now been replaced with neutral site games against teams like Philadelphia, uh, Boston, but this game against Memphis, Portland was not only supposed to have one, but two against the Grizzlies and both were in the Rose city. I think if this, if if, for people that say fans don't matter, I think you're out of your mind. It just gives teams, especially at home,
1: a huge lift. I just thought of something. And it's kind of, It could be related to the Blazers, but I don't think so. Which player is most benefited by the fact that there are no fans playing in the NBA or in in the arena right now? I'm going to say Ben Simmons. Who do you think it is? Because I remember this interview he said when talking about why they're so dominant at home and so trash away they're afraid to lose in front of their fans i think the pressure of ben simmons sucking at shooting threes is going to be alleviated because there aren't fans screaming you suck at shooting threes adam every every chance he's on the floor who do you think is benefited the most by no fans i think it's um,
0: it it might be the young players and so this is a John Morant, a Zion Williamson. That's why I said it's so, it was so crucial that Portland didn't get this game at home because instead of Ja trying to defend Dame in front of 20,000 screaming fans, and it would have been absolutely raucous in in the Rose garden. There's, it's it's just going to be like another summer league game. It's It's like
1: you're listening to two K music and another
0: AAU game. Like it really lowers the intimidation factor and in a way, you, dig, you do get more pure basketball because it's just mono a mano, my skill versus your skill, my squad versus your squad. But again, it hurts the Blazers. And you know, maybe I'm overreacting to these three scrimmages and just how the team looked. I didn't really love a lot of of the body language. Um, not saying it wasn't good body language, but there there were some. I just would have expected the team that was eight games under 500 fighting for their playoff lives to maybe have played a little bit stronger in the scrimmages considering you only get eight games. You get three scrimmages and eight games. So it's not like this is a full length preseason. Um, and again, we were bitten by a pretty lackadaisical preseason this year too. So maybe I'm just still feeling the effect of those Mm wounds. I think Memphis is going to get this, this, this win. I, I would love to be wrong, but the Blazers defensively scare the living hell out of me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, even if you put Kawhi Leonard on this team, magically we get better defensively. I, I just don't know the scheme. It may help us against Memphis. You you mentioned Jared Jackson Jr. So aside from him, I don't think they really have too many lockdown uh, three-point shooters, but th- this game terrifies me just because we are seeing them play together. This eight-man rotation for the first time ever, ever, mm-hmm. ever. And the stakes can never be higher. Now I do love the fact that we have Damian Lillard, and I think he's going to keep it close. I-, I love the pick and roll matchup between Dame, Ja, Jonas, and-, and Nurkic. How that's going to affect our, our role players are going to have to hit catch and three, catch and shoots. Um, everyone's going to have to play big. I think it's going to be a close contest. Th- this is just a game where I am not feeling super confident because of what's transpired. The recency this 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 these past scrimmages and this entire season um it just feels like this hasn't been our year since since opening night really and that first scrimmage really reinforced that that was so hyped after that first quarter then we came out in the third quarter we had a lead and it just went i was like oh like that that actually it pieced like, out very quickly. Yeah, it, it stung a bit. And I was like, oh, this is why I wasn't super jazzed <laughs> about a restart. So again, would love to be wrong, but I have Memphis winning a close one.
1: So, so it's Boston.
0: After that, we have the Boston Celtics. Uh, like we mentioned, pretty much firmly in third. Uh Jason Tatum was elevating to I would say solid star status. I'm not going to give him that superstar label just yet. You got to put a little bit more blood, sweat and tears into that, but close. I mean, he was really on the Ascension in terms of the, the tears of the league. And we, I was there when Portland played Boston in the Rose garden. He, he put, put on about 30, show. right? Yeah. He put
1: on a show. I mean, he, he looks nice. And I watched that game with my mom and uh, I was like, all right, Jason Tatum's in like 60% of my lineups. He has to dominate. You're bad fan, Sage. You're bad fan. <laughs> he didn't dominate enough for me to make real money. But I think the 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 number one play we have to watch out for, there's two. Kemba, Daniel Theis, pick and roll, and Jason Tatum, Daniel Theis, pick and roll. There has been there was an article by the uh, Boston Celtics uh, tr- ESPN True Hoop blog where they show how they run the pick and roll for Jason Tatum to not get hit by contact. So they run it so it's so the the center dice th- uh, gets in front of our big. And then uh, Jason Tatum gets an easy lane to the hoop because if you touch him or uh, initiate any type of contact, he doesn't finish well. So I think that is the play that we have to really look out for on putting a body in a wall in front of Jason Tatum in that basket. I I would be sagging off Jalen Brown to help on every uh, Jason Tatum pick and roll because if Brown's shooting that's a dub for us. He, there is, he's not a elite shooter. I think he shot 26% in college. Like he's never been a good shooter. So know your personnel, know what Jason Tatum wants to do, know what Kemba Walker wants to do, because he's an also a humongous pick and roll player. Um, Like there's, there was like a six point drop off in his production when Cody Zeller wasn't in the lineup for Charlotte because he's such a good screen setter. It's, it's the same thing. Like, defend those two pick and roll plays put that wall against the basket on Tatum drives and hustle cuz these are this this is this shit is seven more games or six more games after this so they have to play with heart and if they play smart and play with heart there's a chance that they could win so
0: my X factor is going to be Zach Collins because I assume Tatum's going to start at the four and Zach will draw that defensive assignment. Zach must stay out of foul trouble. We have nobody who can stop Jason Tatum. Zach is, is our best option out there. If he gets in foul trouble, it could be lights out. You mentioned Mello guarding Tatum. Uh, that could get could get rough real quick. It would be f- atrociously bad. And obviously we can't put Nurk or Hazan on him either. So Zach Collins needs to stay out of foul trouble. Dame needs to dominate that matchup with Kemba. And this is a, a game where you have a plus matchup. Nurk against either Cantor or Tice. Has to has to has to, mm-hmm. has to yeah. get biz, has to have maybe one of those five by five games, maybe a 2015 night. Like if, if we're gonna make the playoffs, it's really gonna be, I think, Dame. And I think you're going to just have to see maybe Nurk go a little bit nuclear for his skill set. Or CJ.
1: I, I mean, school. people have to step up. It, th- like, It's tough to really predict things that we don't know because this has never really happened in the history of National Basketball Association. But at the end of the day, our stars have to shine brighter than their stars. And Boston's locked into that position they could, they, they might not feel the pressure that we do in this matchup.
0: And that could benefit either team, either way. Mm-hmm. We could play too tight. They could play too loose.
1: So, mm-hmm. or their there's scrub a dub dubs happen to have a good game. But we just have to ex- execute and be intelligent with the execution. On paper, I think
0: Portland is a better team than. Boston and Memphis. It's really a lack of playing with one another mm-hmm. and uh, they have to figure out something to do defensively, whether it's in the off season or s- magically you, you, you are in the magical kingdom, maybe eat some magic beans or, or something and visit Mickey mouse
1: and, and get, get a new defensive scheme. Drink Michael's sp- uh, special
0: special stuff. Secret oh, yeah. stuff.
1: Yeah. Oh. So thank you. It- Cause I was thinking, yeah, never mind.
0: It could happen, but you know, you look at Memphis, you look at Boston. These are teams that have played with one another. They, they, they know what they want to do. I, I do have Boston winning this game. I,
1: I, I do too,
0: but with the caveat, in that this will not change my prediction. Like it, I still have the standings. I'm still calling this one a loss. But I will say, if the Blazers do find a way to beat Memphis, they will beat the Celtics on national television. They will find a way that that momentum. They won't be playing at home. They won't be playing in front of their friends and family. They won't be sleeping in the comforts of their own beds. But that momentum, that boost, that that lock-in, that, okay, we got that first one. Now we're – we are now the hunter. We're hmm. not the hunted. We are going out, and we've got our next target. I think the Blazers do beat the Celtics if they beat Memphis. Unfortunately, I don't see them beating Memphis, so I have them losing to Boston, but I just wanted to throw that caveat in there.
1: Or someone gets a rest I know it's very early in this run back, but could potentially happen. But I, I think the Celtics win, but they're locked into that seed, so they might not come out with the intensity that we do. There is a chance that we blow them the fuck out first quarter.
0: Yeah. And there's a I, chance our, our bench gives it right back up. And we... <laughs> I wasn't trying to include that portion of what has happened no, is, in the three Amy. game Real podcast saves. like my my heart right now is saying, oh, change your predictions right now. We're gonna go two and oh, we're gonna get this one. But old noggin up here is like, no, we've been through this shit this entire season. We've seen, we've seen this. Don't fall. Don't don't do it. Don't give into do it. Make make your prediction. So the you know, the head's making the prediction for these ones, but the heart the heart, well, the what heart it wants. says we're gonna go six and two, and we're gonna give the Lakers all they can handle in the first round. My 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 noggin says three and five and it's another long offseason in Rip City. It's it's the
1: nature of being a fan. We're going one in one and uh hmm. Nurk has an amazing game. Dame's consistently amazing. Nurk has something special planned for game one. Game two, Jason Tatum kind of establishes a rhythm and carries them. To a close, close victory against the Blazers. And, man, like, we're going to be here for you throughout this exp- the express season and potentially games after it. So we will be here for you. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Himalaya Podcasts, nothing but net radio, dash radio. Tuesdays, two to three, uh, uh, Pacific <laughs> four to five Eastern. God damn it. I'm not as smooth as I have been, but, uh, yeah, we will be here for you. Do you have any, uh, thing you want to add about these two, these two games? Nothing? Continue
0: fighting the good fight. You know, we are very pro black lives matter on this podcast, uh, I salute all of the protesters out there in, in Portland. Um, you're, you're doing a great thing. The, the the wall, everyone who's been out there, I mean, it's been 50 plus nights. Um, you've got people who have been out there. You've got the, the the moms, you've got the veterans, you've got just a whole community really fighting for, for what they believe in. And um, I, I've loved the, trying to think of the word I'm thinking of, I just love the way the players are handling themselves, using their platform, conducting themselves is mm-hmm. what I was looking for. Tobias Harris, C.J. McCollum, um, all of the WNBA collectively having that strong message, really trying to let let the audience know. I mean, this is this is a sports audience that that these games are being broadcast to, and maybe they don't want to hear about politics, or they might just flat out be oblivious. So any option that we have to continue to push that message and get people aware of what's going on. Um, I, I think is is, is a, a big win. And I just, you know, thank all of, all of the athletes for, they are making a sacrifice and yeah, they're staying at a resort and it's probably pretty nice, but they're still without their friends and family and they're still working. Like this is still a job. Yes, they love what they're doing, but, um, they, they are providing entertainment and, I do feel guilty watching it at times, but I, I know they're out there uh, doing what they love. And at least the NBA so far, knock on wood, is doing it smartly. The MLS, uh, the NWSL as well, using that bubble scenario. Um, you know, we saw today that the the NBA um, Players Association president basically said, I think it was Michelle Roberts, said, you know, if today is like tomorrow, the bubble is the only way a 2021 season occurs and, you know, we're seeing it in baseball where the Miami Marlins had so many cases just explode. Don't don't take what we're seeing for granted. Like, I, I try to remind myself that because even though I do get frustrated watching this team play sometimes, like, we don't know when the next time we're going to get see them play. Like, tomorrow is especially not given mm-hmm. in, in today's landscape. And especially when it comes to, to sports, which really fall low on the tier of things that are going on. So... Just appreciate the the players, the staff, uh, whether it's PR, social media, assistant coaches, the people working at Disney, the broadcasters, everyone making this experience available for you and me. Appreciate them. Take that same sincerity with you when you're when you're at the grocery store, or you're out on your walk. You know, be be smart, social distance, wear your mask, be be a good, decent human being and you know sage we can get get through this together and this is kind of our intent is to provide some entertainment um for our trailblazer fans because you know we're getting something out of this this is something we can give back and you know, thank you all for listening this long if you have you know as we say you're a real one um that that's how i wanted to wrap things up sage just highlighting everything that's going on and where we
1: stand as as a podcast and that's all i got Okay, since I'm organizing the Medford, multi- I am all right. I am one of the organizers of the Medford Multicultural Fair. <laughs> I right, yeah, one of the organizers out of eight. But what we are doing on September 26th is celebrating everybody's culture and diversity. So if you would like to be an entertainer, all you have to do is <clears throat> record yourself doing something that is meaningful to. Your culture, whether it be cooking something, dancing, singing, drawing something, I don't care. If you're willing to be a part of the multicultural fair, please let me know. We need more acts. And this is the chance for us as an organization to have the most diverse, most uh, diverse fair we've ever had because we can reach out to you, the internet, to be a part of it. So, September 26th, it will be on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch. Every streaming platform. If you want to be involved, please contact me. You know how to reach me. My Twitter is in the uh, show notes. So, yeah, Medford Multicultural Fair, September 26, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Join us for a day of happiness and culture and celebrating everybody's culture. And wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night.